0: well good morning. Man, I kind of dig that song. You know, the brilliance of it is that they set it to a tune that a lot of us at least grew up knowing. And, uh, and I want you to let those words just kind of sink in. You know, like let that work on you. You know, be mindful of these people who are your spiritual family with whom you will live for forever. I mean, that's, that's a pretty amazing thought. And, and do exactly what Beth said, you know, take advantage of these resources, go and check out the Open Doors website, um, we love those guys, I mean, we support them personally. Uh, Brother Andrew is a, a Dutchman who founded that ministry years ago, and uh, if you support them, they'll send you his book, and his book is, like, worth supporting them for, it's brilliant and amazing, and it's just incredible to see how the Lord works, you know, when you're out there and, and you're putting it out there for him, I mean, it's, he moves, guys, he really does. So today we are going to come to the end of our study of the book of Isaiah and I want at the end to go back to the beginning and really all the way back to the title that we started with. So the title of this study. All right, we're on the final week is Isaiah. That's the easy part. We're studying Isaiah. We weren't trying to be clever. We're like, no, 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 real clear Isaiah. But then what's the subtitle? It's a voice of hope. So what is that about? All right, the reason we subtitled it that is because what we've seen week by week by week, and we're going to see it very clearly today, is that what Isaiah is enabled to do by the power of the Spirit of God is look forward in time 700 to 750 years, and then with alarming clarity, like with stunning detail, Tell us about the birth and the life and the suffering and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like there is no explanation for the Bible short of the fact that there's a superintending mind who takes the 40 different authors and governs over what they say. Apart from that, it makes no sense. Like the Bible is its greatest defender. How do you explain things like that? And if you're wondering, and maybe you've been wondering this, if when Jesus showed up eight centuries after Isaiah wrote all of this stuff, that Jesus saw it the way that I just explained it to you, the answer is yes, like, and you will see that in particularity today. And I say that because here's what happens. Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, gathers up his guys and he goes to the little town of Nazareth. And I say that because it was a village, probably 100 to 150 people. It's where he had grown up, it's where he had lived, it's where he had worked as a carpenter, all these folks knew him. He goes into the synagogue at the time of worship, And he stands, he volunteers to read from the prophets for the day, and he asks the attendant to give him the scroll of Isaiah, and he he unscrolls it, you know, and he kind of flips through it and rolls through until he gets to the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, which is Isaiah 61, and then he reads the first part of this passage of Scripture, Isaiah 61, and then he rolls it back up and he hands it back to the attendant and he goes and he sits down. And it's this really intense moment, because all the eyes, it says, were on him, like, what is he going to say? What does he say? He says, today, that scripture from Isaiah written eight centuries ago is fulfilled in your hearing. What is he saying? He said, hey, you want to know who Isaiah is talking about? He's talking about me. You want to know why there's hope? Because there's me. You want to know how and to whom I bring that hope? Well, you can study the whole book of Isaiah. Or we can just look at Isaiah 61, which is what we're going to do. So here now, the voice of Jesus in Isaiah 61 Beginning in verse 1, where the Lord himself says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And why is the Spirit of the Lord God upon him? Why has he come upon him? Because he has been anointed to a mission. And it is a mission of hope. The Lord has anointed me to a mission, and now in miniature, he kind of summarizes the mission, and in so doing, he gives all these different categories of people that he's come for. Who's the mission to? He's like, well, let me lay it out for you. The Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So there's a category. He has sent me to bind up the what? The brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the what? To the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are where? Bound in some kind of prison. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. You're like, well, what day is that? Well, the Bible tells us that a day is coming upon which God will avenge all of the wrongs that have been committed against him, that have been committed against us. Like That's an encouraging thought if you suffer for Jesus. Okay, well, to proclaim all of these things... The year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, and the last category is to comfort all who mourn. And if you're hungry for hope, and if you at all believe that Jesus Christ can bring that hope, then what do you begin to instinctively do? You start running through the categories and going, hey, where do I fit? Because I want the hope, you know, so like I got to get in one of these. How about the poor? I mean, some of you are, you know, maybe you're like, I'm taking the money class on Wednesday night, you know, with Dave and Soraya Smith. And it's been amazing. And they're helping me get out of debt and they're helping me save money and they're helping me reorganize my finances. And Tom is a part of this and I'm a little embarrassed. I'm a little humiliated. I have downsized from a Lexus to a Toyota. Okay. I drive a Chevy, so feel better. All right. So does that count? Am I poor? No, he's not talking about the economically poor. He's talking about the poverty that you don't even know you have until you encounter God. And when you encounter God, you realize, oh my goodness, I am so impoverished. Without him, I have nothing, no matter what else I have. But what else to the brokenhearted? You're like, you know, my heart was broken in high school. I'm over it. But it was painful at the time. Felt like I wasn't sure that I could go on. Am I in? Like, does that qualify? No. He's not talking about being brokenhearted in that way. He's talking about realizing the greatness of Jesus, the sweetness of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, the great, the great glory of Jesus, his grace, his his warmth, his compassion toward us who are broken, and then being brokenhearted over the sin that put him on the cross. It's grieving over our failures which he forgives, but out of love for the one who had to do that. See how these things work? He's like, you know, what about captive? I mean, that's the next one. I mean, some of you were the younger brother. I was the older brother. That was a better deal. Back in the day, now it's probably better to be the younger brother. (laughs) Maybe your older brother locked you in a closet, you know, because I don't know. That's what older brothers do. I don't remember doing that to my brothers, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people being held captive to their sin. What about those in prison? I mean, some of us have literally been to prison. We've done the crime, we've done the time, and here we are, but that's not what he means. He's talking about the prison of our pride, the prison of our selfishness, the prison of our passions, the prison of our addictions. It's a different kind of prison those looking for vengeance that seems like a catch all when you look at it at first doesn't it because i mean to be honest at least in different moments of our lives we are all wanting god to bring the house down on somebody you know as long as the shed doesn't land on us you mean isn't that true and what does the bible teach because it does say as i said earlier that that day is coming the bible comes to us and says hey guess what Every misdeed of every person who has ever lived is going to be dealt justly with by God. That's why the gospel is so amazing because Jesus is stepping forward and saying, listen, I'll take that for you vengeance for you poured out on me on a cross that that day might for you be a day of celebration, that it might be a day of joy, that it might be a day of deliverance, that it might be a day of freedom. And those are the options. Jesus takes it or we take it. There's a difference. All who mourn. But over what? We mourn over our sin. That's what he's talking about. We mourn over our lives and We mourn over the state of the world apart from the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, look, I have come to bring hope. And I've come to bring it to people, man, who are so broken by life that they don't know that they have the heart to keep going. I've come to bring it to people who are so trapped in their sins and addictions that honestly they can't even imagine being free of it. And they don't even believe it's possible. I have come to bring hope to people who are pretty doggone sure they are never going to experience the favor of God. And that if he's going to drop the house on anyone, it's them. I've come to bring hope to people who have entered and encountered, if you will, the presence of God. And who in his presence have realized that even the greatest things, the kindest things, the best things they do are nothing but ashes. Like, oh, I've got a big pile of ashes. You know, Tom, my pile of ashes is bigger than your pile of ashes. It just means you're going to need a bigger truck and pay a bigger fee to dispose of it. Like, but that's what happens. And Isaiah knows it all the way back at the beginning of the book. It's where we started the study. He enters into the presence of God and he's feeling probably pretty good about himself. I mean, after all, he's Isaiah. I'm not. And he sees the Lord and proclaims a prophetic curse upon himself. He's like, oh my goodness, it is all ashes. My my, my life, my my ministry, all all my good endeavors. Like like if I'm trying to impress God with this stuff, it's nothing. It's just, it's less than nothing. You're like, where's the hope in that? The hope is in what he does with our ashes. Which, by the way, is immediately where he goes. Verse 3. He says, look guys, I have come to grant to those who mourn over the state of their sin, over the state of their life, over the state of the world. I have come to grant to those who mourn, like who realize, oh my goodness, it's it's ashes to give to them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. You're like, I don't even know what that means and why a headdress? Well, because in the ancient world, which is when this is written, Okay, when you were in mourning over something, it was very common for you to take ashes and to wear them on your head and walk around with ashes on your head. God's like, look, here's the deal. You want hope? Bring me your ashes. Bring me everything that you mourn. Bring me all the things you've realized are worthless. Bring me your life and all of your failures and everything in it. Like, just bring it all to me. Back up the truck. Bring several trucks. Like, however much you've got to do, just scrape it off the ground. Make sure you don't leave any behind. Like, bring all of this to me. And instead of something gray, I'm going to give you something colorful. Instead of something... Ugly, I'm going to give you something beautiful. Instead of something that in that day was the emblem of mourning and of death, ashes, I'm going to give you something that is the emblem of celebration and joy and life, the headdress of a party goer in the ancient world. That's an amazing exchange. And please know that he offers that to absolutely anyone. In fact, he offers it to everybody who will come. You come to him, it's yours. It's honestly that simple. And you say, well, you know, how do you know that? Because it's exactly what he says. I want to read to you one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Like, Jesus makes this statement, and it should be our mantra, okay? In John 6, verse 37, and we're going to say some of this together, okay? He says, whoever comes to me, I will. And I just want to stop and say, okay, the next word is never, and and I want you to go all in on never. And I want to tell you why, because this is totally biblical, As you read through the Psalms, what do you find the psalmist doing again and 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 again? again. He says, I will say to my soul, I will speak to myself. I will command to my soul. What is he saying? He's going, oh my goodness. Like my soul needs to hear this come out of my mouth, go back into my ears and back down into it to really believe it. Like it's so good. It's hard for me to believe so we're going to say never. You're going to say never. I'm just going to say the rest. I'm going to read up to never. You're going to go never. You're going to go loud. I'm going to give you a grade. I'm just going to say, you're going to get a grade. I'm going to compare you to the next service. We're going to see how you do. I'm looking for enthusiasm. Why? Because it's all found in that never. Never is our message. Never is what we proclaim to the world. Whoever comes to me, I will never. All right, we're going hard on never. Here we go. When I get to never, it's all you. So here we go. With enthusiasm, whoever comes to me, I will never. A minus. That was fantastic. Seriously, I just left a little room for improvement. That was good. Don't tell the other service. Let's just see what they do. Jesus doesn't say, listen, you know, whoever comes to me, I don't know, depending on who you are and what you've done, maybe I won't cast you out. Oh, because that's the rest of the verse, isn't it? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Here's what else he doesn't say. He doesn't say, all right, so whoever comes to me with a huge faith, like you you got big faith. Oh, you got big faith? Come on. And I won't cast you out. Never will I cast you if you, no, no, no. He's like, look, I don't care if you walk, run, or crawl. I don't care if somebody has to bring you to me. Like, I mean, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know that I've got the energy to get up and go to Jesus. All right, will you let me carry you? I suppose I have the energy for that. It works. I agree. I'll go. You're going to have to carry me. It's enough. Whoever comes to me, I will never... Thank you. Thank you, A plus. I will never cast out, not now, not ever. Well, we should just sing like that's it, we're done. I mean, that's amazing. Dane Ortland has written a great book. It's called Gentle and Lowly. I would encourage you to get it and read it twice. It's just amazing, and in it, in part, he deals with this verse and he calls. To life, like the kind of a conversation that we would like to have with God based on the insecurities that we have over the way that we've lived, over who we are, over what we've done. Things that maybe nobody knows about but us and, okay, him. Listen to what he says. No wait, we say, cautiously approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up, like in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus responds. Okay, well, you know, you know most of it, sure, certainly more than others, but but there's perversity down inside of me that is hidden from everyone. I know it all, says Christ. Well, the thing is, it, it isn't it isn't just my past. It it's my present, past and present. I understand, says Jesus. Yeah, okay, but but I don't know if I can break free of this anytime soon. So now we're dealing with past and present and the likelihood of the future. <laughs> Jesus says, that's the only kind of person I'm here to help. Okay, well, fine, but the burden is heavy and it's, and it's heavier all the time. Well, then let me carry it. It's too much to bear. Not for me, it isn't. All right, but you don't get it. See, my offenses aren't just directed toward others. They're directed toward you, Jesus. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. Yeah, but the more the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner you'll get fed up with me. And what is the response of Jesus? It is, I will never cast you out. I love that. It's like a big exhale moment. You know, you just kind of go, Oh, that feels nice. That is nice. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress and 57 other books, apparently, said this about this verse. He's commenting. He wrote a whole book, by the way, on this verse, so there you go. He says, this promise was provided to answer all objections, and it does answer them. It does, doesn't it? Like there's nothing you can come up with to get out of it. You will you come to him, run walk, crawl, be carried if that 's the case, he will never cast you out it 's fascinating you know you think about Jesus, the perfectly pure one, and so, like on the other hand, because of his perfect purity, there is literally no one in the universe who is more offended by our offenses than him i 'm desensitized to sin, and so are you. you know we see it all the time, we do it all the time we start measuring it off and going, that's not a big deal, that's a white lie, you know, that's a this and that, you know, to us it's not a big thing. I mean, you got to do something extreme to get our attention. Oh my goodness, that was evil, you know. Okay, and Jesus is like, even the tiniest thing offends my perfectly pure soul. On the one hand, there's no one more offended by our sins, if you will, than him, and on the other hand, there's like nothing that moves him more toward us than the peril that our sins bring upon us. In other words, it's like the greater the whole, the greater the compassion. When we see the heart of Christ and the heart of our father and, and the parable of the prodigal son, you know, I mean, the son leaves, the son lives, the son comes crawling back, really, covered in filth, and the father, what? Runs to him, embraces him covers over all the filth of the foreign land with a robe that is perfectly clean, gives him new shoes and the ring of sonship. He kills the fattened calf like he he strikes up the band. That is the heart of the Father toward us. And Isaiah, who's giving us the voice of Christ and the mission of Christ all through Isaiah 61, goes, okay, let me now give you the response of the people who run, walk, crawl, or are carried to Christ and who realize, wait a minute, never will he cast me out. He says in verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. He's not talking about sort of a medium level of enthusiasm. He's like, no, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord and I don't care who hears. My soul shall exalt in my God. Why, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And then he gives us this agricultural analogy in which that which dies, that's a seed and is buried, comes forth from the ground in life. It's different, we're transformed. He says, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before who? All the nations. How? When? As they see us die to ourselves that we might live for him. As they see us load up the truck with all our ashes and bring them to Jesus. And and then they get a glimpse of the headdress. As they see us, as we talked about last week, turn the mirrors of our souls from whatever it is we're reflecting to Christ that we might shine forth to the world like the world needs to see this in us and then they'll come. There's not a bus big enough, man. It's really amazing. So I want to ask you this morning, will you come to Jesus today? That's super direct, right? so funny. Like I did a sermon years ago and there was, I'm a Dutch guy. So there was a Dutch guy in the congregation and he's moved with his wife. So like if you're one of the three other people who are Dutch and you're going, Oh my goodness, did I say this to Tom? It was not you. Um, he came up to me afterwards and I don't remember what the topic was, but he's like, man, you are too direct, which is a little ironic because he's being really direct, right? (laughs) I'm like, you're being direct with me right now. I didn't call him out on that. Actually, direct people appreciate it. It's like, can we just cut through it and get down to the bottom line? What are you trying to say? He's like, man, you know, you're, you're too direct. But I, I feel in some sense like there's just too much at stake. Like at the end of every week, I say to Beth, I'm like, I don't ask ever, was it entertaining? Did you enjoy it? Was it, you know, I, what, I, one question, was it clear? That's it. That's all I'm shooting for, Cliff. The rest come great. Did you understand what I was trying to say? What am I trying to say? I'm saying run, walk, or crawl, man. I, you know, if you need me to come get you, I mean, I might need some help. I'm not a big guy, so if you are, you know, I'll carry you. But I mean, somebody's going to help me. But you know what I mean? Like I'm just going. Hey, ashes headdress, hopeless, everlasting hope. Will you come to Jesus today and exchange your ashes for that? Because here's the deal. If you will, he will never cast you out. And you can do that like as soon as our service is over. Well, some of us will be up here. I'll be up here. Beth will be up here. Some others may be up here. The Amakers are usually up here. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. Normally, I would invite you to Alpha on Thursday. We don't have Alpha this Thursday because it's our day away. So if you have been involved in Alpha... And you have not signed up for the day away. It's this Saturday, so please sign up for that. We'd love to have you. But will you come to faith in Jesus today? And then secondly, will you make him known? Because here's the deal. That is our job. And here's the great thing about our job. That is our joy. Like when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, that's that's it. That's the win. That's the, you ring the bell. That's that's, that's the why we're here. That's the, that's amazing. That's the, I'm up in the middle of the night. Like that's the, I'm up early the next day. Like that's, that's awesome. Last Sunday, I told you the previous Thursday, somebody came to Faith and Alpha. Okay, this past Thursday, someone also came to Faith and Alpha and I was up half the night. Seriously. I got up at like five, not because I wanted to. It's our job. It's our joy. So many of us want to see God work. Oh, God, show me yourself. He's like, yeah, I'm on mission. Will you join me? When you do, you'll see me at work. Will you let me use you? It's our job. It's our joy. So will you come to Jesus today? And will you make him known? Because, you know, I slept great last night. I don't need to sleep at all tonight. I'd be super excited. Really. Really. Let me pray for you. Father, we are so thankful that there is a salvation, that his name is Jesus. There is hope. Lord, reveal yourself to us. Show us the futility of our efforts. Reveal to us that it's all ashes, but don't leave us devastated. <laughs> Step into that. And in that moment, reveal the one who returns beauty for ashes. Who returns joy for for sorrow. Lord, who takes that which is gray and dingy and dirty and returns that which is pure and colorful, attractive and beautiful. Lord, we come to you as people who are broken in various ways, to varying degrees, but all broken. We are poor without you. Break our heart over our sin, Lord. Take us captive to you. Break the the chains of our pride and selfishness and foolishness and failures, our sins and addictions, the things that that plague us. Lord, let us know the favor that's been bought and paid for by Jesus for us and given to us as a free gift. Oh God, let us run to Christ that, that all the wrongs we've committed might be avenged and yet in him, for us, in our place. And let us mourn for the world, but more than that, let us step into the mission that you have given to us, that we might take your gospel, your light, your beauty to the world, that people will know that there is hope. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.